Sarah Golseth. Yay, Sarah's back. <laughs> I'm Andy Bates. I, I have to remember how to do this. Everyone's getting tired of decaf week. <laughs> yeah, I listened to the first couple last week and then I kind of forgot. <laughs> you kind of forgot. Yeah. You well, can't forget. We were watching pro bike racing, so... Well, that is exciting. It was really exciting. Yes, and you got chased by a tornado? Uh, or did almost, you chase yeah. the tornado? Well, we chased it down the mountain. <laughs> and then we went we rode through where the where it had crossed through a town. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It was it was a little nuts that day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad you came back. Yeah, I had to. <laughs> no choice in the matter, huh? No, no, yeah. We- and I'm moving cubicles, so <laughs> oh. It's been an interesting morning. <laughs> I bet. You couldn't find your desk, could you? Yeah, I walked in and went, oh, my stuff's not here. <laughs> Good thing I know where it went, or else that would have been a little shock. <laughs> but what was on your desk when you got back, on the, the new desk? Oh, I had a box. A box. Yeah, a box some... with books in it. Yes. Which was really exciting. That I'm... reminded me what we were talking about this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Books from uh, Pastor Chris Toma, who uh, some of our listeners may know for for his uh, prowess in in whiskey, (laughs) which is a different topic for a different day. Uh, Today is maybe something not quite so um, upbeat and lively, but we're talking about affliction today. Good morning, Pastor Toma. Uh, good morning, Andy and Sarah. And prowess, I like that. Prowess and whiskey. Yeah. I'm going to have to quote you in one of the reviews. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Bringing back all these big words. Big words. Yeah. So um, we're talking about affliction today. Um, and maybe this is something that pretty much everybody probably deals with, right? Absolutely. The story of Job is iconic, of course. Um First Peter says God allows affliction to strengthen our faith and uh, to his glory. Um, you know, the text of John 9 is a great place. It's another example that talks about how affliction is in place. And uh, the disciples, if you know the text, the disciples asked Jesus if the man was blind, you know, because of his own sins or because of the sins of his parents. And Jesus said that neither one of those is the case, but uh, the man was blind so that the miracle might take place and God's glory uh, through Christ would be displayed. James's epistle encourages the readers to understand that attested faith is uh, developed. It develops perseverance. Perseverance produces a mature faith, a sturdier hold on Christ, his forgiveness. And that, um, by the way, sounds a lot like what Paul says in Romans 5, uh, which is a very important text in place to make sure that we know that when struggles are coming, we know we are not at war with God. They're going to come. Uh, they're absolutely going to happen, but we're not at war with God. We have peace with, uh, with God through Christ. And now whatever's happening, whatever suffering is happening, whatever affliction, Paul is saying is in place to produce perseverance. Produce, uh, perseverance produces character. Uh, how else does he he says character produces hope and hope does not shame us it doesn't put to shame and why because it's set on christ it makes sense uh, that uh, later on down the line too then in romans 8 that wonderful text we all know so well uh, paul tells us even more so how god works in all things for the good of those who love him that includes affliction which you can count on happening in this world it's a sinful fallen world when we speak about affliction, uh, we all see it through our own lens of our own experience. How, share with me 
your understanding or your experience of affliction? How has affliction shaped your life? How has it shaped you? Well, I, I would say that I would imagine, uh, depending upon the situation, um, that you're going to have particular reactions uh, to what's going on, uh, and those reactions are going to lead in ways that are shaping. And I think that probably that first reaction uh, that most folks have is disbelief that it's even happening. That's what that's what happened to me um, when I heard that my daughter, when I first heard those words from our doctor that our daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, I was in complete shock. One, because I didn't know anything about it, um, but two, uh, when I did start to learn about it, I learned how how hard life was going to be in certain senses and all the things that were going to change and just how deadly uh, deadly the disease is. And so, you know, the next human trait uh, that popped in uh, to my mind uh, was anger. Mm. Uh, that came right after that. And, uh, of course, the theodicy question of why. Why are you doing this? The finger aimed at the sky and... and uh, shouting at God, asking him, why are you doing this? Uh, many days, uh, how, how does it shape me? Many days um, I would be driving back and forth over the course of the first months, and I would just, I would break down in tears in my car, um, just thinking of everything that my daughter was going through uh, and how I could not do anything, I couldn't do anything physically to help her. She was completely out of reach other than for me to continue to maintain and care for her uh, with the science that we have. Um, but now, now on the other side, how is this shaping me is the question you're asking. One thing to keep in mind in all of this is that God can handle this kind of response. And that's one thing that I was shaped in ways to be a little bit more precise in my thinking. He knows uh, that we're going to be angry. He knows that we're going to be frustrated. And he can handle it. Uh, no matter how long the cycle of that response might last, he can handle it. And that's sort of the theme uh, to that, to the book, to one of those books that you guys have there, Type 1 Confessional. I don't know if you've had a chance to uh, flip through the pages or read much of it yet, but that's kind of the theme behind it, uh, to know God can handle this, uh, and he is. So you... <laughs> I caught Sarah off guard. She was <laughs> you... <laughs> contemplating. I looked like I was going to talk, and you I took picked a up breath, the book. So oh, I waited. <laughs> It was my dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not used to having me back in the studio. So you're talking about, um, you know, your gut reactions and 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 how do you how do you work through that? Because it's, I mean, that's a, that's a common thing to to have something happen and then immediately, you know, question it or or become really frustrated or get very uh, very inward fo focused on right. you know this is terrible for me and, and it's all about like. It's all about me and how this is so bad for me. But how how do you flip that around and and um, focus on what God may be doing in your life? Well, the key the key is to remain connected to the gifts of God, word and sacrament, mm -hmm. the gifts that feed faith uh, for weathering all of the storms, good and bad, the good the good days and the bad days. The promises of God are wrapped up right there in those means. And when you look to the scriptures, you see um, plenty of examples of how the faithful. Um, were able to actually maintain this confidence and maintain this connection in the face of some pretty harrowing challenges simply by, now this might sound kind of strange to say it this way, but simply by turning the tables on God in a sense and holding him to his promises, to holding him to being true to his character, which is for him to love, for him to care for us, to give us what's needed in the midst of the struggle, to be merciful, even when we can't necessarily see that mercy unfolding in the event 
he is being merciful. And two examples of this come to mind right away now that um, we bring this up. The first is Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis chapter 32. Even though God told him, let me go, and Jacob knowing full well that God could totally obliterate him, Jacob would not let God go until he blessed him, and God did. Jacob held God to his promise to be merciful, not to destroy him in the event, but to see his faith strengthened. And then another example um, is the Canaanite woman um, with the demon-possessed daughter in uh, Matthew 15. She comes to the Lord, she asks for help, he pretty much ignores her. And this is a storm happening. This is the Lord actually allowing struggle. In fact, you could say that Jesus is being the storm to this woman. And so she's asking the Lord to to help her, and he completely ignores her. The disciples are cruel. They say, send her away, Lord. Uh, And when she finally does get the Lord's attention, he calls her a dog and says she's unfit for a place at the table. But she's a believer. She proves this. And so she's tenaciously holding Jesus to his promises of mercy, and she's trusting that even the scraps, even the scraps that fall from the table would be enough for her. And so, of course, the whole time, through the eyes of faith, the gospel lifting us up, we can see that Jesus is leading her through this storm, and not just for her, uh, but this is, and this is very important, um, he's doing it for everybody watching, too. His calling out before the whole crowd how her faith is so great, that's an evidence uh, we all learn from her faithfulness, and that's a big deal. People see Christians dealing with suffering, and it has the potential for changing the game for them entirely. And there's an aspect of that, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, we're a city on a hill, salt of the earth, light of the world. People see us, they give glory to the Father. Your book, Type 1 Confessional God, a pastor and a girl with type 1 diabetes, obviously comes out of this your story, your your own experience. Um, tell us a little bit more about this book, and then we'll, we'll take a look at uh, the other your other book, uh, Ten Ways to Kill a Pastor. <laughs> Sounds too creative to me. Uh, type 1 Confessional God, a pastor and a girl with type 1 diabetes. Well, the, it's completely narrative. Um, it's an, in a narrative form. And I've gotten hassled by a few guys for this, uh, calling me an enthusiast, <laughs> because I'm, I'm, the whole book is set in the sense of me having conversations with God. God is, um, I'm, I'm walking through this situation with my wife, and I'm experiencing the things that I'm experiencing, and I'm saying all of the gut-wrenching things that I say. And, and anything that you read in the book happened. Um, of course, the the conversation with God sitting there in my office or standing beside me while I'm looking into my daughter's bedroom while she's playing, uh, those are imposed into the text. But they're all uh, lifted up and out of the promises of God and the language that God uses by His Word. And so this was kind of a, one, a therapeutic way for me to wrestle with it. Um, but if uh, it, in the introduction I put a section in there about how this is something that can help people with all kinds of different problems, having this understanding of how God works in our lives, uh, how he is displayed to us by the Word of God, and how that, that gospel uh, is given to us and works in us to create within us something that can hold on in the midst of the darkness. And so the, the way I kind of say it in the introduction, at the end of it at least, is that I'm, my hope is that the book is going to, in a lot of ways, give a voice to the things that people are thinking in the midst of these struggles, but they can't necessarily figure out how to say. Um, But I'm also hoping that I can help them focus the sadness, the anger, the frustration, all of these things that will emerge in the midst of these tragedies. I want them to be able to do that. And in the end, they're going to see Christ. 
they're going to see Jesus Christ crucified and risen for the sins of the world, uh, and how his death on the cross is where our eyes are set, and there's our hope each and every single day, uh, right there on Christ. So that, that's kind of the kind of the, the gist of the book. It it unfolds as stories. Each one is a story uh, of something that actually happened. We have just about thirty seconds. So uh, the the super uh, readers digest uh, run through of of ten ways to kill a pastor. Affliction from a from a different angle. Yeah, ten ways to kill a pastor. Thirty seconds. Um, it's it's written in a similar way. It's their stories about things that happen in the lives of pastors, uh, and it's meant to be given in a way that makes congregation. Uh, folks aware of the church, makes them aware of some of the darker struggles that pastors deal with from people in the congregation, from outside the congregation. And again, it's 10 narrative stories uh, explaining that, giving situations that people can actually understand, and they're actually happening, and they're hurt, they're, they're hefty in ways that people don't necessarily realize, I think. Pastor Tomo, where can we find your books? Um, well, you can go online. Amazon's got them. GrailQuestBooks.com is the publisher, so you can look on GrailQuest. And uh, find them there. Pastor Chris Toma, pastor of Our Savior Evangelical Lutheran Church in Heartland, Michigan, author of 10 Ways to Kill a Pastor and Type 1 Confessional. Thanks for being our guest on the Coffee Hour. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, guess what, Sarah? That does it for the first segment. The next segment I recorded yesterday with some students. From Concordia. From Concordia. Concordia University, Chicago. DCE students were in the house here and had a chance to record with them. Before you came to work at the LCMS International Center, what did you know about the LCMS International Center? Not a whole lot. (laughs) Probably not much, right? I saw it from the freeway, and that was about it. (laughs) (laughs) So you probably didn't know a whole lot about it. Well, the the DCE directors of the directors of the directors of Christian Education Program um, at Concordia Chicago (laughs) thought it would be very valuable for students to learn about uh, not just the International Center, but other entities here in St. Louis gave them a chance to uh, take a little field trip. Yeah. Come here to St. Louis and learn about uh, all these resources available to us as a church. So uh, coming up in just a couple of minutes, you'll hear from some three of those nine students who were visiting us here at the LCMS International Center yesterday. It was a great conversation. Welcome back. Thanks. Glad Good to, to be have back. You back.